right, welcome to episode 52 of the Bobbycast. Here with uh, Luke Laird, who is, and I said this uh, before you're here, like, you're the the upper 1% of songwriters here in Nashville, and you don't have to comment on this if you don't want, but you know how they always go, you know, the top 2% of American rich people, you're right. that of the songwriters in town. Uh, I mean, I guess right at this very moment in time, that can change quickly. Though. When did that happen? Uh, again, I don't have any notes here. Sure. So, I would, 21 number ones? 23. Ah, oh, it's close. Just because I had one last week. Okay. <laughs> what was last week? Uh, Luke Bryan. Oh, Flask. Flask. Oh. Yeah, I haven't heard that yet. I've oh, you didn't hear Flask? That. I'll no. play it for you in a little bit because I was going to. So, and that was Luke's sixth number one from that record. Crazy. Which is a whole He's two. He's like the guy right now. It's a whole. Fly. Can you hear him? Yeah, he still. Say hi, Luke. Hey, there you go. We hadn't we hadn't actually met until the ACMs. Yeah, it was the first time that uh, I guess we physically yeah had run into each other. Uh, so congrats on that that new number one. Thank you. Does it buy? Okay, here's a question for you. These things move so fast now. Right. Like fast. It moves so fast. Especially Luke Bryan. Luke or Blake. Yeah. Uh, the 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 A listers. Right. Like, is that frustrating for you as a writer? Because again. You're not making as much if it flies up the chart so fast? Well, no, it's not frustrating because with a guy like that, and first of all, there are no guarantees, but if Luke Bryan at this point in time puts a song out, it's you're pretty much guaranteed it's going to be a hit. Yes. With other new artists, you don't know. I mean, it can be a longer ride and a better better payout possibly, but with a superstar, it's you're never... I'm not frustrated with that. <laughs> That's just part of the game. Yeah. Where if Luke cuts it, you know it's going to be about a 13-weeker maybe. Yeah, at the, right now. It's true. Like, Luke does that. Blake does that. There are about four or five people who really, like, they're right. going to be hits. And they're going to fly up the chart. And yeah. then here comes the other one. That's the only reason Luke can put six songs out on a record is because they move so fast. Oh, yeah. Because they mean, didn't. If it was ten years ago... Yeah, I mean, you got to get on to the next record because it, it, it just, you know, the, the label can't sit on a on an album for that long. They need new product. But, yeah, with Luke, I mean, he doesn't have time to get in there. He can't record fast enough. Are you the hardest person to book a right with in town? No. You, you say that fast. You don't think you are? No. Who, who's harder to book with you um, than prob- you? Probably Ashley Gorley. And I mean, there's probably a lot of other ones, but someone like Ashley, I mean, that guy, now I will say he writes more than I do. He'll, he'll write two or three times a day. Still. I mean, it's someone like that. It blows my mind. Um, I can't do it. I just don't have, I'm just not that good. (laughs) I can't do that. One time a day is like perfect for me. And honestly, ideally I would write three, four at the most times a week. And how many of those songs, if you write four songs in a week, how many of those songs ever actually see the light of day? I mean, if one of them did, that would be amazing, but it's not even that. Um, Is it like a racehorse that has won the Kentucky Derby? And like he's out humping other horses, right? (laughs) And it's like one of the horses is probably going to be a nice horse. Yeah. Genetically, it's probably going to be a very fast horse. But all of them aren't. But you're going to get some real powerful horses if you... Sure. If, if you... Would you say that you're like, basically the... Uh, what was that movie with Toby Keith and Tobey Maguire? Are you the sea biscuit of songwriters? Uh, I mean, Rodney Clawson's probably more of a stud horse than I am. But... Um, <laughs> Toby it, Keith. Yeah. yeah the, to- the Toby Maguire. Yeah. yeah. 
So Rodney Claus is more of the sea biscuit. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, you know, and, and where I'm at too, I'm fortunate because I do get to write with the other writers that are having the current hits on the chart. So it's kind of like this perfect timing where you're writing with everybody that has stuff going on. So you're constantly raising the bar. Now, I try to write with new people too because at some point you just write yourself right out of the game if you don't get new fresh ideas. But my odds are a lot better right now than they were 10 years ago. So, uh, I mean, I have I have all of your your number ones here. And, you know, we could spend an hour going over each song. I guess let's start with the very beginning. And we'll start with your first ever number one. Sure. Talk about that one. Which one was it? So Small. Carrie Car- Underwood. Carrie Underwood. And um, it was, I mean, here's the thing. She had just come off an album that was like sold, ended up selling like 7 million records. I had zero hits. So for me to get the opportunity to work with her before that second record when everybody in town was trying to write with her. How does that happen then? If you have zero hits and Carrie's Carrie. Well, it, it, a couple things happened with that. First of all, I was, I'm friends with Hillary Lindsay and we wrote songs together and Carrie's like, you know, Hillary is like the go-to writer for Carrie Underwood. So I had already been writing with Hillary and then there was also a publisher in town who I worked with named Chris Oglesby and he was at the time really helping introduce Carrie to the songwriting community. So I had him on my team as well as someone like Hillary and then she had heard a couple other songs that I'd written that she liked enough to give me a shot to write. When you with go her. in with uh, someone like Carrie for the first time mm-hmm. and you're green you're you're green as far as hits at this yeah, point. Yeah, zero hits. Are you super overly prepared and are you a little nervous walking into the room that she's going to think, oh, what did I get myself into? Yeah, absolutely. And I still feel that way. But yeah, we definitely, Hillary and I got together the night before and tried to come up with as many ideas to throw to her as possible. And the thing is, Carrie can write too, but you don't want to go in there and just say, hey, I wonder what's going to happen today. You want to have stuff like, here's a title, here's a, like this song is going down the road. Um but yes, it's nerve-wracking, and for sure, really nerve-wracking then. And it's still that way when you get with like a big artist, because you don't... It's always, I think, that those insecurities that we all have, you're like, I don't want them to think I suck, and I don't... <laughs> I just want to come up with something. Walking into a room with blank was the most intimidating you'd ever been, felt. Oh, man. Brett Michaels. No. Um... Have you written more, Brett? I did, yeah. The nicest guy. So nice. Like, so nice and, like, full of energy and, like, you just want, he wants to hug you and you're like, okay, I'll hug you back. I mean, that was, that's the funniest thing. I literally put on Twitter, kind of as a joke, but kind of not because, like, my kid self was, like, huge Poison fan and um, I literally, like, at Brett Michaels, you know, would you ever, you know, if anybody knows Brett Michaels, you know, I'd love to write a song with him and I swear it. The next day, I get a call from Brett Michaels on my phone. He's like, "Hey, man!" He got my number from like a like a newspaper writer or something. I can't remember who. May have been. No, I don't even remember. Such who it was. a nice guy. Yeah, so nice. Positive makes you feel like. I remember meeting Brett too, and I was like, "Oh boy!" Like, am I? Because for me, I'm a guy that doesn't like to meet people that they really. Like, I know. Because. Humans are human, and the bad thing about humans being human is we're all faulted and oh, flawed, yeah. and we put our heroes in this place where they don't have faults and flaws. Definitely. Brett was awesome. Gosh. He, he really lived up to the hype. <laughs> and he's just, to speak of, you know, of a lot of energy, I'm just like crazy. But Who, um, 
Okay, I, yeah. Okay, so we'll take Brett off that. Off that. <laughs> who else did you want? Somebody called you and said, "Hey, we want you to go right with so and so," and you're like, "Oh, okay." Uh, Snoop Dogg. What? <laughs> you wrote with Snoop? I did. Just me and him. I did a panel with him uh, out during like Grammy week out at the at the Roxy in Hollywood, and it was like a BMI panel where so they had different writers from different. When genres. was this, by the way? This would have been three years ago. Yeah. And um, so we're there. It's like a noontime thing, and it's all like aspiring songwriters and producers. And then it's like me from that. I'm like the country guy. And uh, Busta Rhymes, Snoop Dogg, B.O.B., and David Hodges. And um, I mean, I'm like a big hip hop fan, so like this is, I can't believe it. Snoop's going to be there. So my wife, Beth, who is my manager and publisher and basically runs everything. After the show, she goes, hey, I think I, I think I got you a day to work with Snoop. I was like, no way. That's crazy. So I go back, I go backstage after the show and um, she's in this dressing room with, I swear, like, a, like just this huge, on this dressing room table, huge mound of weed. And it's just funny seeing my wife in that setting, just talking to these guys and like just like doing this like getting the smoke out of her face and she told me that after I was like no, it's not going to happen he'll cancel why would he want to work with me he doesn't you know but it happened I went out to LA for it was supposed to be two days they canceled one day and so I worked with him for about three hours and we did a song that's never been released but you got the memory yeah and I have it like I can listen to it and, and you have the song yeah yeah uh, one of my buddies did a story on Snoop once and he doesn't smoke a lot of weed, but he yeah. smokes Snoop's weed. <laughs> yeah. I, he doesn't remember. Like, he he remembers waking up in his car, and he was like, w- I don't know what happened. Like, that. Because I'm, I'm also a huge hip-hop fan. Yeah. And so I was like, dude, yeah, tell me everything. So, it, and he was like, Snoop offered me some weed, and that's about all I remember. Man, yeah. I I was, I think I probably got, like, a contact high, but I... I've been sober for over 10 years, so I was like, even Snoop wasn't worth messing it up. <laughs> but I did have an amazing experience, and we were in it, but I was really, going back to what you're saying, I was really nervous going into that, because I'm like, what's he going to think, you know? Like, and But he was, he couldn't have been nicer. He was actually, a lot of times the artist, you're like, when are they going to show up? He was there before I was. He was so professional. Like, you get to see him do what he excels at, and he literally got out the yellow legal pad, and I had written this chorus and I played that for him and then just I had a track and so he wrote the verses we didn't really collaborate that's kind of how in hip hop a lot it works it's not like you sit there like well, let's, let's talk about it it's like no it's more freestyle And but I see him just writing on these sheets of legal and I was like I wish somebody was videoing this Did, you didn't keep the paper he wrote on a no that would have been a cool souvenir I know I should have I took a picture of it <laughs> I, you're taking me down a different road here because you, you talk. Now, was Busta fat by then? He was. He was WWF. Yeah, I mean, he, he was. He was this. Oh, okay, so he, he was muscular. Now he's just really fat. Oh yeah, have you seen, seen him? him. He, looked, he looks bad. It's not good. Yeah. And Busta was. I mean, Busta was the first guy that I can remember in my childhood that went super fast. Super fast. Yeah. Like he had like supersonic and stuff, but you know. Yeah. But Busta for JJ me, fat. you know. Whenever it was put your hands, you know, I was I never anything like Buzz before in my life. No, and I was like I don't even know what he's saying, but I like it. Yeah, exactly. And, it sounded cool. And 
and Buzz, even though he's fat, I saw him on the BET Awards a lot, and he's still, I guess, body size don't matter how fast you rhyme. No, it doesn't change his lips. And B.O.B. is like the craziest multi-instrumentalist. Yeah, he's super talented. Super, like... Eccentric. N- oh, yeah, he's, he's nuts. But, you know, to be creative, you gotta be nuts. Yeah, and definitely. And he's, he's nuts, but he, he's so musically gifted. And mm-hmm. I, you know what, I, I did hip-hop and pop radio for a long time, so I got to yeah. meet a lot of these guys. And a lot of the studio sessions would go like this, let's go in the studio... We'll get high. We'll just yeah. play a play a beat. You know, we'll throw some some bars over it. Like we like that one. Let's do another one. But Bob was like guitars, yeah. tracks. Like and it was like for a hip hop guy. That's di- that's, that's different. When they see you p- p- pick up a guitar, they're like, "Wow, what is this?" But like, yeah, he is like that. I try to go to Atlanta like at least once or twice a year, and I've I have gone down there to work with Bob and with Future, and. None of these songs have come to fruition as far as coming up. But for me, like, I don't even care because I'm just like a kid at that point. It's like there's no expectation of like, oh, I have to come up with their next single or and it's just so much fun. If like my goal is to like write, you know, get a song on the hip hop charts at some point. That future stuff, that, that's that's cool because future is like the I mean, Snoop, Busta, even B.O.B. is a half a generation back at this right. point. Um, you know, airplanes and magic, and sure. that that whole record. You know, hey, I'm Bob, and this is you know, yeah. that, that that's been a bit. But like Future, right now, is doing it. He is, and it's he's one of those guys too. Like some of the stuff I hear, I'm like, is this like, am I just out of the like? Then I start feeling old. I'm like, is this good? But then I'll hear something like, why do I want to listen to that again? It seems so dumb at first, and then you're like, why do I? Keep How do they feel back? about you though? Because here you come in, you're like me. We're just pasty, goofy guys. So, yeah. I, you know, I think there, there's something almost that there's a, something that's almost disarming about it. It's not like I'm coming in trying to be them, so, and you're not competing, right? I'm not in in the grind every day like with all the other producers there. So it's it's I think it's just like a kind of like it is for me. It's a different experience for them, and they're just intrigued by the oh he plays a guitar. <laughs> He knows Luke Bryan or whatever. You know what I mean? Do they really know the anything about country? Because I not much. I, I mean, some of them might, but I. It's funny. It'll be, you'll talk to a couple guys in that world, and they're like, "Yeah, man, I know Rascal Flats," and which, cool, you know. But it's it's just so interesting because like something like you say, someone current, you know, they might be like. And they're in their own bubble, much as we sure. are. Like we're in a, a big old bubble that sometimes we That's don't, true. that we can't even see outside of. Absolutely. And luckily for me, I get to tour and meet a lot of. It keep, that right. keeps me somewhat yeah. like normalish because yeah. I'm not normal in any way whatsoever. <laughs> but I get to go and meet a lot of people that listen to music, and I get yeah. to see what they like. And um, that my the Bob thing, and I hear Bob is great because uh, I write and have written a bunch of like comedy stuff and songs mm-hmm. with Christian Bush, and they share a studio space. In Atlanta, because Christian lives in Atlanta. Oh, I wonder if it's. I've been to that one. Yeah, it, they're like right down the hall from each other. Wow, that's cool. And so, look, I, I'm, we could just spend probably an hour talking about hip hop. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, uh, let me uh, talk about one eight hundred flowers for a second. So after a cold, wet winter, it's officially tulip season at one eight hundred flowers dot com. And when it comes to surprising your friends, surprising your loved ones with the best blooms and the brightest colors. Let me suggest to you 1-800-Flowers because that's what I've used many, many, many times. And it's Easter, and it's a great price. Right now, 1-800-Flowers. Dusty, what are you doing? 
the dogs are going to be talking about flowers and wants to get on this. 1-800-Flowers giving my listeners an exclusive 30 for 30 offer 30 assorted tulips for 30 bucks. The only a dollar per tulip that you can find there with a bright and beautiful mix of orange, yellow, and pink blooms. These assorted tulips are perfect for surprising your friends and 1-800-Flowers handles the rest there. Simply pick your delivery date and let 1-800-Flowers handle the rest. 30 assorted tulips for $30. Yeah, 30 for 30. An amazing offer. But it expires Friday. Every bouquet is backed with the 1-800-Flowers 100% smile guarantee. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash bones. 1-800-Flowers.com slash bones. And uh, get in on this before it goes away. 1-800-Flowers.com slash bones. And not just for this, for all kinds of flowers as well. All right, so how about this? Let's let's do some Carrie stuff. So last name. You wrote this one. Mm-hmm. Who'd you write this with? Carrie and Hillary. We actually wrote that the day after we wrote So Small. Really? Mm-hmm. So you do two songs. Did you, were those the only two songs that you wrote in those two days? No, we ended up writing. I think we wrote one other song that didn't end up making it onto the record. When you okay, let's say you finish those three songs. Are you like, hey, we could, I feel pretty good about these three or this one or these two? Like, did you know? Kind of. I, well, that's well. The thing is, I hadn't had any hits. I knew that like last name sounded more hit ish, but I knew I really liked so small. Like I felt something when we played it when you're sitting in the room with just the guitars and the two of them are singing it together. It's like, yeah, you know, this is amazing. Well, um, and Hillary Lindsay can sing with Carrie. Oh yeah. Like that's the crazy thing about her is that she can sing with. Like I mean, with like I know that yeah. level. No, it's it's amazing and. I, I just felt lucky to be in that room, to be honest. So you cut those two, mm-hmm. or you're not cut, you record the, or you uh, write those two. Mm-hmm. Um, when do you get back that, hey, we're actually going to put these on a record? Because that's first before a single. Like, it's, hey, we're sure. actually going to cut these songs. Um, I mean, it, was, it wasn't too long. Because um, I remember we wrote those in like February, and the first single came out. I want to say in June or July, which is still a little bit of time. So, What was the first single? Was it one of yours? It was so small. Oh, and, man. When you get and, that and, call that it's the first single oh, from the record. And it was my first single. And I remember, I mean, I was literally right down the street here at this condo I told you um, that I lived in. And I just remember exactly where it was when I got the call. And it's like this surreal moment. It's like, wow, as a kid, you dream of writing songs and like want something on the radio. And this song is going to be on the radio. And it's Carrie Underwood who just came off the biggest album of the year or whatever and this is starting her next <laughs> your first single was Carrie's first single from that record mm-hmm. ever yeah when you get your very first check because they start to, they drip in and they sure. hit right when you get that first writing check for a number one song it's not that big right the first one the very first huh? the very first one it takes it takes a long time to oh, get paid out year yeah, I don't know the exact, but it's... Yeah, Where's it Apex? A year? Yeah, there's probably like... Yeah, probably a year, and then there's a couple big quarters, and then it starts dwindling off, but... I'm always intrigued by people when they say songs either fell out of them in like 30 minutes or took days and days. Yeah. For example, Shane Mack and I was talking about how they did Body Like a Background, and it took weeks. Yeah, well, you know, and I think a lot of that, that's Sam's process. He, you know, it's... It's not wrong. It's just a different... I mean, obviously, that that song is massive, but it might not sound like something that they spent days and days on, but yeah, every song is different. So what song was like back-breaking for you that ended up being this hit? You're like, I can't believe we we finished it because it was just like, what in the world? Well, you know, a song... And I haven't had one that I've spent days and days writing, but it's taken a long time to get to. Like, And this is... 
after this big build up, you'll be like, what? That's like the dumbest song ever. But Hillbilly Bone, literally Craig Craig Wiseman and I got together and we were grinding on this other idea all day. Like just, and this is like a real testament to Craig Wiseman's work ethic because I tried to leave that right like three or four times. And finally at like five o'clock, 5 p.m., he goes, man, let's just, just try something else. Just, let's just do something else. And um, he's like, just do one of your crazy beatbox things. So I was like, and we started with that riff. And he's literally just being dumb, like, yo, bad, la boom, ba boom, ba boom. We just, it got a reaction. And it's like, you got to pay attention to that in the room. And we just started laughing, like, what could this be? And so it turned out like I was rapping on the verses, and then he sang the chorus. And so they ended up pitching that to Blake. He heard it and he loved it, but he's like, you guys got to put a melody on the, on the verses. So we went back in, not like it's this amazing melodic song but we put a melody to it but that song literally it wasn't one of those we had this title like i want to write a song called hillbilly bone like no it was just being in a room all day and cornering yourself on a certain idea not happening and then just not overthinking anything and writing something fun and um that's happened other times too but that's like the main example i can think of I'm intrigued by your hip-hop influence, and I say that for a couple of reasons, and just as just so you can kind of know a little bit of my backstory. At one point in my life, I signed a hip-hop record deal. Really? So it didn't last long. But but you did. But I did, and you know, as you start to talk, I'm just like, man, okay. Did, how in the world did that happen? Like, Because for me, I, I literally grew up in a black town. And wow. so all my friends listen to hip hop. That's what yeah. I had. And then I went grunge in the nineties while I listened sure. to McGraw and Garth. And but too. that's where my hip hop influence comes from. Like what about you? For me, I mean I grew up in a small very small town in Pennsylvania and it was a white town. But I mean I think like a lot of other people my age, I just and still I listen to everything. You know, country I really connected with country music, I think, because I could literally could relate to the lyrics, but the music I loved and go to school dances and that it's not it, it was hip hop and like all my friends it was like it was like listening to 90s country and 90s hip hop and it's that is through all of my music like I just love both of them lyrically obviously I relate to country music so it's it's easy for me to write that in, in the sense that it's authentic but Musically, I've, I mean, my first tape I ever had was, this isn't hip-hop, but it was Michael Jackson, Thriller. And um, from there, it just I just like popular music. and It's uh, refreshing to hear someone actually say that. I think everybody feels it, yeah, but people are scared to say it. It's true. And I, I mean, I have so much respect for the... I, I know, I mean, I'm not saying I'm... As, know as much as some people but I know the history of country music and I and I love it and I but this is who I am and this is how I grew up so it's pretty authentic you know the way I write and I I, I love very traditional country music and I love a lot of current stuff and I think that's why I actually have a job uh, best rapper alive right now oh man I mean probably I, I, it's probably Eminem I was going to say the same thing yeah I mean and you know what? We're two white guys saying a white guy, but here's what I did. I said that on the radio one morning on my on my country morning show. We were talking about hip hop. 
And I said, I think Eminem's the greatest rapper alive. And I know I'm a white guy, and you're going to go, well, you're a white guy picking a white guy. So I called Charlemagne the God, who has the hip-hop show. He's my best friends in the world. Yeah. And so I call him, and he they were on the air um, in New York doing The Breakfast Club. And I was like, hey, dude, I'm saying Eminem's the best rapper. And we put him on the air, like, straight up. I was like, you can tell me I'm an idiot, and I'm just a white guy saying a white guy. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, there's absolutely an argument that Eminem's the greatest rapper alive. You know, there are about three or four people that you could say is the greatest rapper alive, but Eminem's... When Eminem comes on a track, it's not your track anymore. No, it, it doesn't... And, and you're literally com- captivated. How many other... Like, a lot of guys have great flow, and it sounds cool, but he literally says something with those lyrics, and you're you're just, like, drawn into the story. A lot of times, I'm like, okay, I need to listen to it. Naughty by nature after this or something because it's just so heavy and but it, it's amazing. It takes about three listens at times to really hear an Eminem song too. Yeah. Well, he did the he did a song with uh, Big Sean on Big Sean's latest record. Yeah. Uh, Bounce, no, or no, it no favors. No favors. Yeah. And it was and and the problem the, the trouble that I got into was there's a political message behind it and I and uh, I wasn't talking about political message. Oh yeah yeah. Because it was like Ann Coulter and Sugma oh, yeah, yeah. and Trump, but I was just like guys. And Big Sean is as legit as they get right now. Oh, yeah. And so... Eminem comes to this track. It's not Big Sean's track anymore. And he t- he's like... You know he's telling the engineer, keep looping it. I'm, th- I'm not done after 16 bars or whatever it is. The same happened with Lil Wayne when it was Wayne and M and somebody else was on a track. And... Later. Here we go. Fuck you looking at, hater. I saw them eyes like an ass raper. And his style changes. Try to copy my swag like a cheating classmate. I'll be the last face you see for you pass when you get your fucking ass braided like a mad paper. So ahead of my time. Late means I'm early. My age is reversing. I'm basically 30. Amazingly sturdy, zany and wordy, brainy and nerdy, blatantly dirty, insanely perverted, rapey and scurvy. They blame me for murdering Jamie Lee Curtis. Said I put a face in the furnace. Beat it with a space heater. A piece of furniture. Egg beater. Thermos. It may be disturbing, what I'm saying is cringeworthy, but I'm urinating on Fergie. Plus 80, number 81, surely I'm turning into the air and Hernandez, the rap state of emergency. The planet's having panic attacks. Brady's returning, matter of fact, I may be deserving of a pat on the back like a Patriots jersey. Inexplicable stomach growl from the pit of it, like a fucking terrier hitting it. Despicable, dumb it down, ridiculous, tongue is foul. Shoot off at the fucking mouth like a missile, a thundercloud. 100 pound pistol, pull the trigger, this gun will sound, and you'll get a pound like digital underground. He's not even into it yet. He's about to really get into it. Too. Like, he's stretching right now. He's just stretching. A damn boat cutter, a sandal, a can of butter, a candle, rubber, piano, a flannel, sucker, some hand soap, butter, a banjo, and manhole cover. Hand over the mouth and no smother tramp or ran over the tramp with the land rover, the band, the Lambo, Hummer, and roll runner, go ham, don't nutter, go Rambo, gotta make an example of her. That's Sandra Blanho and Philando. Hannibal on the lamb, no wonder I am so stubborn. I'm anti, can't no government handle a commando. Your man don't want it, Trump's a bitch. I make his whole plan go under. And tell Dre I'm meeting him in L.A. White Bronco like Elway speeding. I'm about to run over a chick. Delray CD in. There's just so much nuance in there, too, that you don't I, I know. Even... I'm like, White Bronco? Like, wait, that was a... Oh, yeah, he played for the Broncos. Like beating the helium. Leaving him pale face, medium-sized welt. Straight treating him like a cellmate. CD, I'm climbing Hell's Gate. Bitch, I'm like your problems. Self-made. Meaning someone else's self ain't needed. Because I'm a... Make it, make it, make it, boy. It's just like, you, you hear that and you go. That's And that's not even the same Eminem from... Three no. years ago, much less. T- He's amazing. He's he continues to get better. I know, that's wild. That's- and as a rapper in a young man's game, yeah, 
he continues to still be better than yeah how how are you still like the freshest thing you know that's not supposed to be how it works yeah I post and I was thinking about this song and God, I got crushed because there's a line about Trump and I was like I don't even care about that like no you weren't like, yeah. yeah like get off my nuts man that's what I remember just I, all I was doing was saying there nothing there's nothing like this yeah like he's in his 40s and I mean he can sit down with future and teach him a lesson still oh yeah so it's amazing. We're, we're, we're doing talking about country music here. Uh, yeah. This is what I get country into on the radio. Country Yeah, that's what I get into on the radio too. Like I get in trouble for my station program directors because I'll just go off and start talking about whatever, and they're like, "We is, don't like you talking about other kinds of music." But is that is that because of the way everything still has to be? Because I would think listen, it feels like listeners now aren't. But that's why I do it because we're humans, and my listeners are humans. And no humans have just a bunch of country music on their list, and that's it. And it and what's the the like typical country demographic now? Because, I mean, I'm going to be 40 next year, and I grew up listening to everything. So at some, you know, and it's the demographic. Let's say 40 and under, right? Even a little older than that. We had Napster. We had everything that yeah. allowed all these influences of the people that are making music now yeah. to be influenced. Yeah. And so that's why you're hearing music going all these different directions because for the first time, music was able to spread like that yeah. instead of it being regional right. or having to be shipped in a box yeah. or your parents only giving it to you. You could just – I would go to bed in the door. Like I'd be in the dorm. And I would go, hmm, what letter do I like? L. Let me yeah. download every song that starts with L while I go to sleep on Napster yeah. for free. And, you know, that's how it was. Yeah. And that was the Wild Wild West. Now it's just the Wild West as we figure out how songwriters get paid you know, right. with Spotify and, and right. Tidal and iTunes. Yeah, it's, it's changed so much. I used to get so excited for Tuesdays to go out and buy a new it's, album. That's right. Used, but, that, that was crazy. Tuesday used to be the day instead of Friday. And, but even now you can't, it's like now it's like Friday morning, pick the phone up. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like what's new that I can just go, do you have a problem to, like what is your thoughts on full out, like 12 song albums now? I mean, I think there's a place for it, but I, but the reality is the with just listening habits and I don't know, I mean, it's, I think it's rapidly going away because people want new and even I do like I want to hear I, I like hearing it together but I also am ready for like what's the next thing because part of that is just that whole instant gratification but but now just because it's so easy to do that because in the past there was a reason for the the 12 album or, or the one album whatever a year cycle but now it doesn't cost any extra to put a song up online you know and so I just think that I, I think it depends on the artist too but as far as young new artists there's not a whole lot of reason to just try to make one album a year or two every two years like, I feel like too if you put out 12 songs some of them just get missed because we are like oh yeah you know what I don't like that one right, immediately right the second so I'm gonna go to the next one and like, no, we don't I give like things 10, a chance I like I mean if it's a full album I like 10 songs that's what I, I like thinking. 4 I like John Mayer doing 4 songs at yeah. a time and making me wait for another month so I can love those 4 yeah and it made me true. love 4 more that's true I, and it, it it's all changing It's I mean it's changing from the last 5 years it's dramatically changing oh my gosh yeah It'll be interesting to see. How about uh, let's man? You have so many songs here. That's uh, all good. Some of them. Let's see. What would I like to hear about? 
Uh, this one here, because Shane McAnally was in mm-hmm. talking about this one. Right? You read this, Shane? So. That's me doing background. Yeah. Hold on, let me hear that again. Is that really, that's you? Yeah. Let me hear that. Let, let me see if that's true. Hold on. That's just me stacked up. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> that's off the demo. So, okay, tell me your story of this song. Because it's always interesting to hear... My story. Okay, the, the, I mean, the, how the, I remember this, it. Yeah, it's always... Because all the stories are, are true, but it comes from so many different directions. Sure. Um, so, from my recollection of this was Rodney Clausen and Shane McAnally and I got together over at my little office studio. And um, I think we were working on something else, but... I picked up a, this bass guitar I have that's actually my friend Barry Dean, who's another great writer in town here. And I just started playing that boom, 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 boom. I didn't sing that in tune, but you know, the, basically kind of the riff. And we kind of wrote that to, ba- to bass. So I was, I'm playing that, and then Shane and Rod, and he started doing the mm, 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 mm. So that was kind of our groove. And we're like, this feels good. We wrote, from what I remember, the verse. We didn't have a title wrote the verse and got all the way up to the the final line of the what rhymes with uh, the give me a kiss Rolling Stone uh, American oh, what is this mm. and finally I think I don't know if Shane or Rodney said it, I don't think it was me said American Kids and we're like it's like you're so into it like is that good and then it's like yeah and then the post I think is what kind of takes it over the edge you know growing up and it's just this chant and from the time we wrote that, I felt really strongly about that song. Like this, I feel like this is one of the best songs I've written in a long time, and we just couldn't get anybody to get on it. Um, I know it was on hold for like McGraw. So, we Little Big Town was the story that Shane was saying, and he was on an airplane. Yes. Oh, yes. This is right. Yeah. So Shane was, you know, of course, the circles he runs in. He's on an airplane with Kenny Chesney. <laughs> He's like, hey, I played this. I put the headphones on Kenny and played this. And he's like, I'm cutting that. And then it was on hold for Little Big Town. I mean, there's so many different people who are pitching these songs. You're just hoping somebody likes it. I'm like, hey, who, you know, who wants it? Like, because I really believed in it. Um, and I think at the time, from what I, my understanding was that Little Big Town was into it, but somebody in the camp wasn't really, like, it wasn't like a full on 100%, whether it was a couple guys in the band who weren't into it or producer or label but it it didn't sound like a for sure thing they're like we like it you know but but kenny's like i want to cut that so as a writer you get in these situations and you know there's a lot of relationships that you have to take care of that's i try to stay out of i'm not as good about pitching my songs to artists because i worry about getting in these situations even though i should just like email the song and i and i've tried to do it a little more but that was a that was a little bit awkward, but you know it obviously worked out, and I think that Kenny really like when he says he wants a song and believes in it like i I really do appreciate that he just goes and does it, and it's like i'm going if he says I'm going to cut this, he will to be fair, uh talking about Shane circle, Shane and I did fly on Southwest together to Boston, yeah, that was so, the first time he flew coach in a long time that was the, well that's the Bobby circle <laughs> I've never flown on a private jet the, the I'm like Southwest. I gotta meet some I gotta meet some people with twenty plus number one Eric Church called me once he's like, "Hey man, you ever fly on a private jet?" And I was like, no, he goes, you want to 
I was like, yeah. He goes, well, tonight we're going to something. But I literally couldn't. It was like something like my mom was coming in town. I can't remember what it was. I was like, oh. And so I called Eric when he got back. I was like, hey, how was that? He goes, oh, I'm a changed man. <laughs> With Eric, I mean, you brought some monsters. Like Talladega? Like yeah. That's a, that's a career song for someone. Talladega. So talk about this one. Yeah, this is, you know, Eric's one of those artists, too. I mean, he is a, if he wasn't be out there being a superstar, he would be like me and be on Music Row writing songs for other people because he's he's first and foremost a songwriter. He thinks like a songwriter. He, he obsesses over songs, ideas. Um, we were on a bus in Albany, New York, and um, he... I, I can't remember. I think it was Daytona. One of the races was on the TV in the front lounge, and it was on mute. And he was like, man, I kind of want to write. He's friends with Marty Smith, who does he's on ESPN and does all the commentary for NASCAR, as well as a bunch of other stuff now. But um, he's like, I want to write something like about. And he's like, not a NASCAR song, but just that feeling, that camaraderie that those fans have. And I, I didn't grow up watching NASCAR, really. Um, but... I related to it in the sense that like country music concerts. So we used to go to this place in West Virginia called Jamboree in the Hills and it's still it still happens. They still yeah. they call it the Super Bowl of Country Music and it is man, it is a it's a, some good people watching, but it's just country music fans and we would do that. It was kind of like a tradition with my buddies. So I I was kind of being inspired drawing from that, but he's like I want to write this song um, and so I think we kind of were singing Daytona or like some different things. And then he's like, Talladega. And I was just like, man. And it had, and it had the emotion. It wasn't like this cheesy, I don't know, but we wrote that. I felt really good about that song. And we wrote, we wrote it probably two years before that album came out. So that was, I didn't even know if it would ever see the light of day because so much time had passed and he'd written so many songs, but. I guess he always had that one in his back pocket and knowing he wanted to put it out. With Eric, you wrote, or for Eric, these are, uh, I have a bunch of Eric Church songs. They're like, I mean, this is the jam. When you go into a jam song like this, they're like, all right, we're going up tempo, we're going to jam it. That that was feeding off the energy. We were, we were in North Dakota. He was playing some armory or something, and it was literally negative nine degrees. So I'm out in the crowd, and there's it's not even like bleachers. It's like a one-level room. I go out to front of house, and I just notice, and I don't know what the whole, you know, keg setup was at this place, but people had red solo cups just walking around and holding them up. And, like, just in my head, I just hear this, like, real similar, all I want to do is put a drink in my hand. It just kind of kept running through my head, so... I went back to the bus, and when he got off the bus, I was out there with him and another writer in town, Michael Heaney, who's written a lot with Eric. I get off the bus, or he he comes off stage. He's like literally pulls his ears out, and he's like sweating, like pumped up from the show. And I was like, I just got a line, and I didn't even know. And I was like, I'll, and I just play the three chords. All I wanna do is put a drink in my hand. He's like, I love it. Let's write that. We wrote that whole song right there in the front lounge. We were writing the verses so fast that his wife, Catherine, was... None of us were keeping track of the lyrics, so she's, like, typing down. We just hit record on GarageBand or whatever, and he's she's typing down all the lyrics we have, and it just... 
it was just kind of this repetitive. There's a lot of words in that song for being such a simple, like, as the choruses all change and we had so many different versions of choruses. I still, like, if I play it at a writer's night, I have to look at the lyrics. But it was that one I felt really strongly about just because it was just so up and party. And I was like, his fans will freak out if they hear this song. And um, it, that ended up being his first number one. So that was really exciting. You mentioned it took two years for Talladega. Like, what's the longest? Because I mean, sometimes you write a song and I guess it just yeah. sits. What yeah. song ever surprised you because it came back to life out of nowhere? You're like, whoa, what in the world? Uh, one that surprised me because, again, it's not a um, – I wouldn't necessarily consider this a work of art. <laughs> but Gunna by Blake Shelton. First of all, that's about the most forgettable title I've ever heard in my life. But I get an email, and they're like, hey, Blake Shelton put Gunna on hold. And th- this so much time had passed, and just how unmemorable that title was to me. I'm like, I didn't, I don't think that's my song. Because like, I didn't <laughs> recognize the title, and I was like... So I went back into Dropbox, and I was like, oh, gosh, I did write this song with Craig. And I was like... When I heard the chorus, I was like, man, you know, it's funny how songs work because like you might think, oh, this song's whatever. But the second like an artist is interested in it or it gets to be a single starts climbing the chart, you're like, oh, this is pretty, this is pretty good. I, I'll start liking it a little more. How old was the time? Like from when you wrote it till they put it on I mean, it wasn't crazy long, but I bet, I bet it was four years. Wow. Which nowadays, that is a long time. I mean, you hear these stories of like a song after 10 years or something, but those are so rare because people are so of the moment. Um, and 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 even like the demos that we do, they get dated pretty fast. So like I listen to old songs of mine, I'm like, oh gosh. And some of them may be okay, but but they just sound bad. <laughs> uh, let me throw and talk about Blue Apron for a second. I always appreciate Blue Apron because they have been here since the beginning of the Bobbycast, and I've actually been using them since before the Bobbycast. I've been using them since before. They came on the actual radio show, too. I, I love Blue Apron because it's about convenience and awesome food. And, uh, for example, I, I tell you this right here. Less than $10 per person per meal. Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes with pre-portioned ingredients. comes right to your door in a box, and you choose your variety of recipes. They have a culinary team there. Recipes are not repeated within a year, so you'll never get bored. Or if you want the same thing, get the same thing, too. Like me, I'm a creature. I have it like crazy. Each meal comes with step-by-step process. And it's, it's a card, and it teaches you how to do it, or I would not be able to do it. And you can pair these at your house whenever you want. It's not like one of these microwave meals that you cook, and it goes bad. Like You can make these whenever you want. Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises every ingredient's fresh. Right now, three meals for free with free shipping, right? Go to blueapron.com slash bobby. You'll love how good it feels and tastes. Blueapron.com slash bobby. Try that, blueapron.com slash bobby. Yeah, but Blue Apron's a better way to cook. All right, so man, let's let's do like this song here for John Party. I mean it, and I like John a lot. Like John, I like John yeah. a lot. So I, I say, like this was it. This is the song for him. This is what. Yeah. This is what has made John and is going to make John a star. He's got another one. Yeah. It, it just hit too. Yeah. But this was it. Man, you know thing about this or John here's the thing I've been a fan of his music for a long time and I was a big fan of the first record and I'd never had the opportunity to work with him and I literally seeked him out because I I loved his first album so much it was like so country but there's just a thing it's not just like a throwback thing he's unique artist and so 
I seeked him out and tried to get a day to write with him, and it was awesome because John's one of those guys. He comes in with his guitar and he sits down and starts playing. He's got this swagger and, and just starts mumbling. You're like, this is the jam. Like, it, he can say anything. And so, it, in a situation with John, a lot of times I let him drive like musically, and I just try to make sense of some lyric and. But he had that title, Head Over Boots. I was like, that, dude, that's awesome. And that's you. And at the time, he's like, man, I don't know if I can do some of this other music that these guys are, you know, current, whatever they call it, bro country or whatever. But I was like, well, you don't have to. Like, just do yourself, you know, and hopefully it'll connect. Because I was like, if it connects, you've got that lane. And, like, then people are chasing you. Then you've created the new lane. And that's... But that California record, that's what he did. He really did. Is that he took traditional a traditional vocal and put it with slightly progressive a son, a sonic, sonic yeah. sound. And it was like, oh, everybody traditional was happy. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, hey, I love the new sound. And I was like, he's the unifier right now. It's, it's amazing. I mean, another thing with John, I remember I was out on the road with Thomas Rhett and John was opening a couple of these club dates for him. And I, I just remember being in the backstage and just hear, like, John was out there playing in these grooves coming through the wall. So all you're hearing is, like, the low end. And I'm like, dang, that's, like, all his songs feel so good. I'm like, I want to be part of that. That sounds like my neighbors when I'm trying to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, God, what are you, I can't even hear the good parts of the song. I, yeah. hear it. I try to go to bed at night and, and I'll, like, oh, get these neighbors next door. It's like outside. I live in a house. I don't yeah. even live in an apartment. That's so annoying. And Gosh, like you have to move again. Again, the other place flooded downtown. It's so obnoxious. I can't find anywhere to live, dude. You well, you were you lived out of town, right? Well, yeah. first I, I moved to Brentwood. Yeah, and I lived down there because of security reasons. Like sure. there was I had some issues, some guns, and people threatening me. What about? Good so times. my job was like, this is where you need to live. Yeah. So they moved me into this neighborhood. And it's and for me I felt safe because uh Lavox lived like four houses down, Carrie oh. lived like eight houses yeah. down. I was like nobody's going nobody cares about me, but nobody's going to bother me because yeah. these people they're worried about these people. Yeah. I moved from there cuz I just couldn't drive anywhere. It was That's a long, it was 40 long, minutes and I was yeah. traveling. So I moved downtown and I got this condo. It's very super safe, all these codes. Mm-hmm. And there were two units on the top. And the the neighbor was working on a water main. He just just bought the place. And the place oh. was built in like the 1800s, right? So it's not somewhere you go in and start knocking down walls. Right. Hit a water main, busted it, flooded the entire building. Millions and millions worth of dollars. I, oh still, I still own it. I can't get into it. I can't rent it. I can do nothing right now. At least until, for another two months. Because, and it's been almost a year. Oh my gosh. Of just, so I had to move again. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I need to write some of the hit songs so I can just no. have, have like all these places. No, you got a good view up here. It, up here, well, of cranes. I see a lot of cranes outside. Here's TR. Yeah. Is it ever weird? Do you ever think we shouldn't reference things that aren't country in songs? Is that ever a question where you're like, should we or shouldn't we talk about Guns and Roses? I mean, I never, for once, questioned that because everybody that listens to country now listens to Guns and Roses. I mean. I think I've been to the concerts, uh, and I agree. With, and and I'm on your side yeah. of this too, which is at times been the downfall of my career. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder, as you're writing a song, do you ever pull out and you're like, "Hey, what if we throw a little Wayne reference in here?" But you're like, "You know what? Maybe we shouldn't do that." 
Maybe we'll scale it back. You don't have to worry. You don't I, worry about I mean, that. I, I haven't really thought a lot about it, honestly. Yeah, I don't. I mean, maybe Bet Midler might not be what we're going for, but you never know. Which of these songs? Because we talked about Hillbilly Bone, and mm-hmm. it kind of happened. Which of these songs just fell out of you? Mm. And you're like, man, that shouldn't have been that easy. Uh, take a back road, and that's the jam, dude. And, that, and it's one of my favorite songs. It I've makes so yeah, Red Akins, who I mean, when I was in high school, I mean, I, I literally sang songs of his in a talent show. Tr's dad. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And I was like, oh, I'm writing with Red Akins. His first date, first time we ever wrote. And he said he had that title. I think it was first like Ride a Dirt Road, and we we're like, I don't know. And so changed it to Take a Back Road. It just felt good, and we both could write those lyrics all day because we it's like where we both grew up and even though he's from georgia and i'm from pennsylvania <laughs> do you ever feel the opposite now where someone's coming into a room with you and you can just tell they're petrified uh, a little bit but i always try to i always try to make people feel comfortable like i'm never like hey i know it all and like because I don't. I'm just like, I hope... I, I, I get just as nervous a lot of times writing with a new person because I know they probably think, oh, he's written all these hits. He has the secret how to do it. And I, I literally don't. I'm just like, it's the same... I approach writing songs now the same way that I did before I ever had hits. So it's... You you feel that a little bit, but I, I'm, I'm always trying to make people feel comfortable. Tell me about an instance where this new artist comes in you don't know them. Someone's like, "Hey, you got to check them out." Because, mm-hmm. like you said, you're always, you you try to find, you yeah. know, the fresh, sure, with the current, mm-hmm. and because the fresh keeps you fresh. Absolutely. Some new artist comes in, you're like, "Okay," I mean, and it turns out they they're a household name now. Like, who who is someone that came in and you were like, "Oh, I wonder," and it turns out like, bam. I mean, the first first thing that name that comes to mind is Marin Morris. Um, as far as a new, I'm trying to think who else. Marion walks in and, and for his first time met her, you're like, okay, there's something here. Yeah, I, I, I was just like, she's super talented, and you know, even before that, kind of who's become big pop, and I haven't had any hits with her was I wrote with Megan Trainer, and she's in Nashville, and I just think, oh, this is a. She's new got the number one song this week, by the way, on country radio. Oh yeah, Lauren Atlanta song. It. That's right. Yeah. Gosh, that's crazy. But she's so talented, and I, and I didn't even I when I met her, I didn't even know like oh she's going for the artist thing. I just thought this is a really good writer. We wrote something cool. She's really talented. Next thing I know, they're like, yeah, Megan Trainers in L.A. and she got a L.A. Reid signed her. I'm like, what? You just don't see it coming, and then it's, which is it's cool. It, like, it was her second number one country song too, because I think she she wrote the Rascal Flatts song. Maybe um, I like the sound. Of, one of their newer ones. Yes, her and Shay wrote together. Yeah, and maybe Jesse Frazier or something. Yeah, that's right. And which so is she, crazy. she's got a couple of pop songs. And I bet these are songs she wrote back when she was like kind of in the Nashville scene, like writing, just writing songs. So you wrote with her and you were like, there's something here? Like you could tell? Well, I I could tell she was talented, but I didn't know she was going to be a superstar. You just don't know. But like, who else? I mean, I feel like I've written with a lot of people before they blew up. Brett Eldridge, um... It's weird now, like, I'm at the age where there are starting to... I didn't write with Luke Bryan before he got big, but 
we both kind of came to town around the same time. Like, real quick, funny story about that is, so Luke, you know, had hits as a, a couple hits as a songwriter before he, you know, made it as an artist. Like um, Good Directions, Billy Carrington yeah. was the number one for him. Yeah. So Luke and I, I just remember going to this guy's house who was a fairly established songwriter, and I had zero cuts, no hits, no cuts. But this guy was like, I was like, oh, that's cool. He likes, he's going to take a chance on me and write with me. So I get into this co-write, and we get about halfway through the song, and he goes, so when, I mean, when, when is Capital talking about putting your record out? And I was like, oh, no, he thinks I'm Luke Bryan. And he did. He thought I was... <laughs> It's like, do I look like an artist? I don't know. But um, I was like, and, and then I felt weird for him. I was like, how do I say? I was like, not only am I not Luke Bryan, I have I, nobody. I have no hits. I don't, the guy ended up being really nice about it. But I was just like, because we were like kind of the two Lukes in town. Well, you're not Luke Bryan. Wait, this is not Luke Bryan. Like, this Mike is did. not the guy. And uh, I was like, yeah, I know. I don't, but I just, I, Luke, I told Luke that story. He got a kick out of it, but. With Luke, I got a few here for you. Uh, I see you. Fast. By the way, congrats again. Is it still Thank cool? You. I mean, listen, uh, frankly talking, after the 10th or 12th or 18th, it's still awesome. Oh, it's so awesome. Is it still so awesome, though? Yeah, I mean, or is it pressure filled where it's more of a relief that you did it again because you're expected to? Yeah, it's it's weird because I still feel pressure, but not like like once you have one number one song, you're a number one songwriter, and no, literally nobody knows or cares how many number ones you have except like maybe you, like you know, but people don't know, and then people are like so and so has so many number ones, but it's like on what chart, you know? It's like <laughs> like I'm and I'm kind of like. You know, in a few years from now, what charts or what? You know what I mean? It's just so different. But it's it's weird because there is a pressure, but it's you're just happy to be in the game. Like getting a still getting a cut on a new artist or a big artist is still super exciting for me. Like that is part of what keeps me doing it because it is like a challenge and it's like a game. You're like, oh, I've done this. I want to I want to do it again. Um, What's the deal with you mentally? Like, you go to bed at night, do you write down, okay, I may want to do this tomorrow, or do you do most of the work in the room? Like, where does that... Well, I know who I'm going to be working with that week, so I usually, I like to get to my write like two hours before I work with anyone, so I can either work on ideas, or if it's an artist, kind of think in my mind, where would I see him going next? Because what do I have to offer here? Um, I don't... Honestly, at night, once I leave there, I'm not. Uh, it it pretty much leaves me. I I pretty much separate it, and then I'm a morning person, so I get inspired in the morning. Who are your? Everybody's in a, in a mm-hmm. everybody's got in a little pack, a little group. Like you know, Natalie Hemby comes in. She's in the Miranda camp. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, Ross came in, and mm-hmm. you know, Ross and Urban are now working on a lot of stuff together. But Ross yeah. with dirt. You know, everybody's got their. Who, who are your people? You know, um, I feel like I've run in a couple different circles, but my people are, like, writer-wise, are, like, our people at Creative Nation, like, especially, like, Barry, Dean, and Natalie Hemby. They're, like, two of my best friends. And so, as far as artists, I mean, I had a pretty good run with Carrie. You know, maybe I'll get to work with her again. We haven't worked in a while. Um, But, I don't know, I run, like, I'll do... 
like John Party, he and I are kind of, I think on a, I mean, we've only had the one hit, but like we're going to, we're starting to write some new stuff that I'm excited about. I've kind of been in the Eric thing a little bit. I just kind of move around like whoever wants to, I'd be in everybody's camp if they want to work with me. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, and the thing is, I really, I truly am a fan of lots of different kinds of music. I'm not like, oh, I don't, I can't stand that. Now, if there's something that I'm just not really into, I'll be honest and just try to, you know, not do it. If I, if I, if I just don't genuinely like someone's music or something, I'm not gonna, even if they're a huge star, I'm not gonna try to just get in there because there's so many things I do like. You mentioned Natalie, and Natalie's awesome. Like, yeah, she is. She was so much fun, and you know, she came and we talked. And she again, you guys share some. You share some songs with a lot mm-hmm. of the other folks that have come in. And she told the story about this song that, that you guys wrote. I'd be curious to hear your version of this song. Well, okay, so she and Barry and I wrote this, and we're always curious what version. Because <laughs> now it's been a few years, but. The way I remember writing this song was Natalie came over and she and Barry and I were just BSing and she was telling the story about she and I had written an album cut for Miranda, a song called Fine Tune. And her publisher or somebody had heard the song through the wall and was like, Hey, what's that song that I heard like that you wrote Pontoon? She's like, No, it's called Fine Tune. She's telling Barry and I that story. So of course, we're all like, we got to write a song called Ponte. Because <laughs> it just it just was too good. I'm like, gosh, that sounds like a good country song. And did you expect it to be... Like, when you finished it, were you like, is this too goofy? Is well, it... just the word pontoon is kind of goofy. So that's why I kind of just started with like a really simple, almost just a quirky little beat. Like, just silly, almost a... And, and so Barry and I literally like Natalie. What would you say? Like if you're trying to write a song called Pontoon, like what's the first thing? She's like, "Back this bitch up into the water," and we're just died. We're like, "This is amazing!" Like if that's all the song said, literally on the demo, I like put that into a sampler, and like for the whole intro, it's like back, 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 back this bitch, back, back, back it, just because I thought it was so funny. We wrote that, and and again, kind of like. Hillbilly Bone, like I, I, we all reacted to it, and it made you feel something. It's like as writers, that's what you're trying to do. Whether it's a sad song or just something fun, like you just want to, you want it to kind of just catch your ear and like what? And I knew that like some people would hate that song, but I I felt deep down that if it got at least a chance to get heard, that it could react. And, you know, I knew, and some people would hate it, so. We got um, a few people, like, I think Dirk's had it on hold. It's when Kix Brooks made his solo thing. I remember getting the email, it's on hold. I was like, awesome, you know? Um, but really, like, it, it that was like the, that song was the perfect storm because Little Big Town believed in it. Their manager, Jason Owen, was just like, I'll bet my career on this song. And I'm thinking, gosh, I don't know if I'd do that. <laughs> and I, I wrote the song, are you sure? But. With Jay Joyce produced, it was just at that time too, and it still sounds like so cool on the radio. It's just so unique with their, yeah. But I, I mean, it's silly how big that song. Was. Whenever you wrote Motorboat, and yeah, were you like, huh, Vince Vaughn? Yeah, were you like, I've, well, I, there are a couple meanings to this, obviously. Yeah, 
the, you know, uh, Wedding Crashers. Yeah, that's what, I mean, we were thinking about, um, you motorbone son of a bitch. But, but, I mean, it was just another one of those parts in the song that were just like, we have to, because we're, I remember thinking, trying to rhyme that, like, like in the ocean, or like, no, you, you don't take a pontoon in the ocean, and then, I don't even remember who said the motorbone, but we are like, I was just like, oh. And I don't, you know, in the time you're like, do they say, can you say that on the radio? But it's like, it's actually motorboat. a boat. You're actually writing something yeah, about a boat. Like, of course you can say motorboat. Unless you boat. saw that movie, no one's thinking of, you know, there's a funny story. You got to, if you are, have you done this with Lori McKenna? I have not. I know Lori well, but she, if you do involved. ask her about when she first heard that song, Mike, make a note. Natalie told us too how when they went out and they were gonna buy they went to buy a boat. Oh and, yes. And the guy was like, I hate that song. song. And yeah. she's like oh. Can you imagine? I mean <laughs> only in Nashville. What are the odds? That's funny. So uh I mean you still write every every five days a week, four days a week? Eight. Four, yeah. Three to four. I mean I'm I work every day because a lot of times I'm working like I'll work on demos from songs I've already written or try to start new ideas for who I'm going to work with the next week. My ideal would be to write like three days a week and then the other two days work on tracks and ideas or finishing up demos and produce a little bit. Do you walk down the street and there'll be someone who's like, hey, Luke Laird, I'm a new songwriter. Can I get this? Can I work with it? Does that happen to you much? Not a lot, but in Nashville it happens. A TSA agent. Really? Hit me up. And it's said like what? Like the same dude two times. Like he didn't even remember me. He came through and he goes, I know who you are. And I was like, he goes, man, I really like your songs. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. And then like literally two weeks later, it's like he forgot he said that to me. He goes, I know who you are. I was like, what? <laughs> Has anyone ever Movie stopped theater? you and said, hey, hey, can I write with you? Like just randomly from the, the street? No, that's usually comes through Twitter and Facebook, which I can't imagine the stuff you get. You can't because it's all hit me up in the DM. For me, it's never, and you know I write stupid songs and comedy songs and stuff, but it's always play my song. God, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And the weird thing for me is, I've probably done that to you. (laughs) The weird thing for me is, is I can't. I'm in a weird thing because I'm I have a record deal because you know we have a band. I mean, look, you talk about all these charts. We have a number one comedy album. Like, there's so many charts. Yeah, but that's amazing. But I'm now a number one artist. It's a legit though. That's a legit. That's not like the I won't mention whatever. But it's okay. It's it's somewhat legit. Like that's a real chart. The last yeah. And so, but it's since I'm writing music and I write stand up, I can't listen to things because. I can't even subconsciously pick, try to pick up things because yeah. I don't want to accidentally write it and then get sued. But then again, I'm supposed to be listening for things because I'm trying to break new music all the time. Yeah. And it's just this weird place. And pe- like I go everywhere, people are handing me CDs. I can't touch them. Do you oh, do? do you have to do that where people? Oh like, yeah, I'm like no. And it and it is true. I mean, yes, you're kind of like I don't know that I need to be listening to this, but yeah, it's just when you're in a position that where you are having chart success, like. It's nerve-wracking. Like, when I'm writing a song and it, I start really liking it, I'm like, crap, am I on another song? Because I have. It has happened. Like, I've been writing, like, this is awesome. Like, oh, crap, that's whatever hit by Ed Sheeran or something like that, you know. You're always trying to come up with something unique, but it's you do think about that stuff. Is it impossible, figuratively, to write a new love song? No. Um, yes. 
it feels that way, and then you hear one, and you're like, man, they did it. Like, why didn't I think it? Totally. What's a, what's a song you've heard in the past few years where you're like, God, I wish I'd written that song because it's so freaking good. Oh my gosh, there's a there's a quite a few. That's the thing when people are like, yeah, music now sucks. I'm like, no way. I listen to. 90s country and there are some really bad songs then too that I actually loved but but like when I heard Blue Ain't Your Color I was just me too. Like, damn yeah, me I too. texted Hillary Lindsay I was like this song like it just I listened to Keith's record and I was like man that thing just jumped out that, that was that's, a song that's too def- to me because we did think Keith and I did a thing I was like dude that, it wasn't his single it wasn't his first single and I was like Blue Ain't Your Color is my favorite song on the record the melody I mean it's so good, and I felt I really felt that way with humble and kind. I just thought it's just such a unique way to say. It. I mean, it's just so simple, but just to say humble and kind, you don't think of that as being like a easy like conversational song. But the thing about it with that song too, because I was so Tim and I were sitting in my office like an hour before we're supposed to go do something, and he's like, "It wasn't this this first single, humble and kind." Right. They weren't going to lead with that off of. I think it was damn country music. Yeah. And he was like, there is this song on this record called Humble and Kind that's just going to change the whole game for me. And at the time, I'm like, he's talking about album cut. Yeah. I don't really care. You know, it's out. Who knows? People talk about album cuts all the time. Yeah. And, and, but man, was he right about that song. He was so right. And she wrote it by herself. It, it's amazing. I mean, she really is one of the best. Um, and Tim, you know, he's he is one of those artists who is such a good song person. If you look at throughout his career, I mean, yes, he may have had a few misses, but just at the right time, he will find a song that everybody's like, dang it, why didn't I get that? And it may have been pitched to a lot of other people, but he he knows. He's, he just knows songs, and you know, you go see his concert, and it's like hit after hit that are not just ditties. He has those, but he has the just song of the year in there too. It's pretty amazing. The cool thing about McGraw to me is that when I was a kid, he was awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm an adult. He's still the same awesome. It's not like he's a novelty actor. I know. I, his longevity of being relevant is really amazing. It really is. Like him and Chesney both. Oh, it's a, it's both of those guys. I mean, right now, me being a Music Row Nashville songwriter, those two guys are like the first two people you try to get songs to. It's not like, well, they aren't really... You know, it's it'd be cool to have the cut, but no, those are you want like your take your best stuff to them and hope they want it. <laughs> I just remember turning on my radio in in Mountain Pine, Arkansas, and listening to Tim McGraw. You know, I by, when I first time I heard "Don't Take the Girl," I was like, oh. my mind, my I'm I'm what like this is a, they can do this in songs. Yeah, like I like went through the whole roller coaster of emotion in the song. I was like, wow, you know, Indian Outlaws before that, then don't take right. the girl, and I was like, this Tim McGraw guy's awesome. Yeah, but still, Tim, a song will come on now. I'm like, this Tim McGraw guy's awesome. It's like the same. Like, who can last that long? It's so hard. This business is so hard. So when somebody actually does it, it's gosh, you got to respect it because I don't know. And he's better in better shape than every. New artist too. <laughs> yeah, like Tim's got that. Whatever I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do 100. percent Oh, dude, he's intense. Yeah. And so 100 percent is he's gonna work out. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, Luke, I appreciate you coming in, man. It's Thanks like for me. it's like the uh, the Queen of England. Of, I was like, of what's, I don't remember writing this one. Yeah, yeah. This little something you wrote uh, back in the uh, the game show era of the 70s. Wink Martindale, you and Wink Martindale put this together. It's the jam, huh? 
probably made a lot more money than most of them. <laughs> I appreciate you coming in and uh, you, you just loot Laird on Twitter. You don't tweet that much though. No, I, I'm, a, I'm more on the Instagram now, but. Because I, mean, I, I look for you tweeting, you don't tweet that much. No. I haven't tweeted you. I was like, hey, dude. And then I didn't hear that. I responded to that. It, like 18 days later, and I was like, oh, he's uh, always on that Luke Lair delay plan. He does it. Oh, yeah, delay I'm too tweet. cool. No, yeah, 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 I didn't yeah. even know. I appreciate, I I appreciate you coming. You know, Thanks. what's funny is, one, because I started this, and it's all about, for me, I love songwriters. Yeah. And I love talking about how the concept and the craft and what didn't work out. and what, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, we started this thing, you know, months and months and months ago. I think it was, you know, Caitlin Smith, and mm-hmm. she was close. She's a friend of mine, and it went for whatever. And I'd just be like, "Hey, so and so came in," and they're like, "Oh, well, they came in. Well, I want to come in, but because you decided to come in, because one <laughs> always makes another." And I don't know who it was that well, <laughs> they got you to come in. Who, who was it that was like, "Hey, that may, that's that's not so terrible." Was there anybody for you that said that? Uh, no, he. I think Mike just hit me. Well, that's very kind of you, but. So Karen Fairchild, who I'm friends with, yeah. but I wasn't going to really ask her to because it's like there's this fine line of friendship and I work. Know, it's always trying. To... It's like I, I don't even ask him to come on the show. Yeah, and I could, I could text him, I could text yeah. Luke and Dirk all the time, and be like, hey, but I don't because there's yeah. you want to have that free space of just being human. Sure. But at the ACM, Karen was like, I'm Luke's doing your show. I'm coming to do. I'm coming to your house She's to so do the bot. And I was like, that's what it took. Like, Luke wow. Laird's going to come. She's like, yeah, it's, it must be legit if Luke's coming. Oh, yeah. And I was like, all right, whatever it takes, Karen. So, uh, really it's good amazing. to see you. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. Episode, what is it, 51? 52. Wow, Luke Laird. And uh, thanks again to Blue Apron and 100 Flowers for sponsoring this. And, you know, uh, buy the music. I, I just buy the music. That's how these guys eat, right? And eventually That's you'll it. figure this thing out. That's it. One of my best buds is, like, always up at Capitol Hill, Lee Miller. Yeah. Like, fighting for songwriters oh, and it, we, we sit and we obviously we're coming from different places but he's like one of my true 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 friends yeah and he's like let me tell you why i hate you and i'm like okay go ahead and i'm like dude i don't i'm not i don't run radio i just get a, a check yeah you know so uh yeah yeah let's feed these guys so uh buy the music all right we're gonna go we'll see you next time here episode 52 of the bobby cast is over